Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and welcome to Rock the Next Stage with Dory Staley, where you will hear 30 minutes of tips, musings, and motivation for the music community. I'm Dory, and I own Rock the Next Stage, Next Stage Entertainment, and Next Stage Drumming, because who wouldn't want to whack on some drums? For the past 16 years, I have been helping young talent, both bands, solo artists, Christian artists, you name it, take their God-given talents and move them on to the next stage. I'm a big, big supporter of the local music scene and love to pay it forward whenever possible. Today, I have someone with me here who's who's not local. In fact, he's calling in from Canada. <laughs> We're going to be talking about tunes that make you think award-winning Canadian singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Ed Roman is the thinking man's musician. He has blurred the lines between pop, rock, folk, and country music genres. Ed's uniquely crafted songs have been played on more than 400 stations worldwide. Wow. His latest album, Letters from High Latitudes, was a critically acclaimed vehicle for Ed's socio-political earthly conscious, and globally aware messages. This earthy, funky, and magical mix of music has earned him airplay chart recognition and won over legions of fans around the world known as Edheads. Gotta love that. That's funny. (laughs) Several causes and humanitarian efforts that he contributes to. Here we go, a fellow pay-it-forward kind of guy. His new album, Red Omen, was produced with renowned producer Michael Jack and features the single and video, I Am Love. We're going to be playing a little bit of that tune later, but for now, let's see how Ed's doing. Ed, are you there? I am here, Dory. How are you, my friend? Keeping well, I hope. I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you for being able to carve out some time from your busy schedule to join us. Absolute so, yeah, pleasure you have to be to- Good, thanks. So you have been pretty busy doing all kinds of cool things, and it's great to see that you are combining your love of music but also helping out some very important causes. So that is super cool. Well, and you know what? I think music has always been a part of what that is in terms of the human condition and wanting to help. Art, I think, is in any way, shape, or form somehow reflective of the moment that we live in. Herbie Hancock once said the definition of an artist is one who has the ability to fuse their life with the rhythm of the times. And being reflective in the moment is is the most important thing. We're hopefully helping the listener. But at the same time, music is a vehicle to connect to your community, teaching, uh, passing Mm -hmm. the trade, and, and what the music is in terms of personal growth as well as it perhaps being something that you can do one day and get paid for uh, professionally. But the thing about art and music for me is that it's always been a necessity. Somehow, even the artists that I fell in love with, they were saying something about the moment and the time. And some got criticized for it. Others embraced other ideas uh, and, and moved forward because of it. But that's what art does. I think it's... It's important that we have it. Not having it in schools is ridiculous. We were talking about that off air, and I was like, "Yeah, we're in, we're in the choir together on that." And it's it's <laughs> it's extremely important because it's it's self personal moral development 
that that comes hand in hand. Not only you know just like the technical aspect of what music is, but the 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 thinking aspect of what it is, the depth of it. It's philosophical. It's almost religious in nature. Yeah, and it's interesting to me how many educators and maybe even some people in the community they just view music as well. You know, it's entertainment. It's fun. You know, it's great to have in the background or whatever, but they really don't get how much it can improve and enhance not only the individual musician's life, but others as well. Well, in the community of it, too, that's the thing I remember. Yeah. Even growing up, the the comp healthy competition that developed uh, as a result of competing bands, the Battle of the Bands, the Sadie Hawkins <laughs> dances, those kinds of things, you know, also pushed uh, us to get stronger as musicians. And the community came out to support those things. Um, and that's healthy, too. Even in other parts of the world that I've been lucky enough to travel to, like Jamaica is one of those places where it's like, oh, the Skyliner Marching Band is practicing in the alley next to us, and it's going on for four <laughs> hours, people playing drums, trumpets, everything that you can possibly think of. But what's amazing about it is not just this regimented conductor orchestra practice that's going on. That's a completely different thing. There's also this, yeah. we're bringing kids in the community together to be a part of something. We'll go out and play gigs every once in a while, and at the same time, it's more important that they get together to do this together. And and even playing yeah. in a band, he knows as well as I do, Dory, that camaraderie that exists in a 4, 5, 10, 12, 18, 20, 80-piece orchestra, when you're living <laughs> and breathing as an organism like that, there's something really special and kinetic about it all. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny you should mention Battle of the Bands. Since I've worked with so many young artists, that's one of the things that I used to do. Uh, not only putting them together in different shows where they can perform and make money, and they did pretty well, but we also, I groomed them for a Battle of the Bands or any sort of competition. We try to get them into them at the end of the year. And, and I would tell them, hey, this is great training ground. I always selected really good judges who can give them good feedback because they were hearing my feedback all year long, and so now they can hear somebody else. And it helped them not only grow as musicians, but I always encourage them to support the other bands on the bill, no matter where you're playing, whether it's a competition or not. Find at least one nice thing to say, and you never know what kind of collaborations can come from that and where it will lead. And it's funny, many years later, I see guys that were with some of these early teen bands, now they're older, and they've combined forces, and they're in yet another band. So, And they're still doing their thing, so there you go. Well, and as you say, other people then are exposed to other bands. Like, okay, so the 50 people or 25 people that would come to support one will all of a sudden now see another act from that location, area, and then hear the music and may get into it. And that's the thing about those moments. Like, even in the past, look at somebody like John Hammond, who brought together what the Mariposa Folk Festival offered uh, in, in so many different ways. Um, and I think it was Mariposa. It wasn't Mariposa. What was the big one? With Hendrix, Mamas and the Papas, Hugh Masekela. There was this huge variety. Count Basie Orchestra was on the same stage. Um, oh, wow. All of that meant that you weren't just going to see Hendrix. Well, you're going to see this whole variety of stuff 
over the course of that period of time. And the exposure then creates not, it, it removes that homogeneous aspect to what pop culture is. is. It has then many levels and depths. So some person might be in a bassie, but they're also listening to Hendrix. Uh, some people might be listening to the Mamas and Papas, but they're also checking out, you know, Hugh Masekela. So all of that is like, I think, exposure, exposure. And, and artists tend to do that. They're always kind of pushing themselves into these areas where they're experiencing new things and trying to write about it and, and, and feel it out in, in whatever way, whether it be melodic or be word-based. Uh, that's the interesting, you know, path and or struggle that we're always going through is that pursuit of, of that new thing in some way. Not to be contrived about it, but it's funny. As as I've gone through the writing experience over so many years in my life, I've released myself from the idea of worrying too much about forcing the path. What I've noticed is that if I listen to myself and my conscience and the things that are going around me, all of a sudden, I start getting pulled through the writing process. It's like an improv solo when you're when you're when you're, you're supporting an artist that's soloing. There's so many things that are going on. You're thinking about the chord changes, but at the same time, you're listening to what's going on to support that in, in, in a storybook kind of way that lays out the tapestry for all of the fringes of what that solo represents. And writing is very much the same way. If you listen. And you and you start to not listen like uh, I'm speaking aloud, and that's what I'm writing. Listening to different levels of your thinking, all of a sudden it, as I say, pulls you through. And then at the end of it, you, that journey that you've t- taken is actually more important than the end result of the song being written. But the important thing is the song gets written, right? Right, right. And that's a really interesting point and a, and a great tip, both in music and in life. Sometimes you really just have to sit back and listen. I know as a a percussionist, I do that all the time because I might hear something different than, say, another percussionist that I feel needs to be put into the tune. So I'll kind of, especially if we're during during practice or whatever, you play in the band and all, and I'll sit back and I'll listen to see, okay, what kind of flavor am I going to add to this? What do I think it needs? And I don't you know, jump in right away, and if they're playing a, a cover tune or something like that, I won't play it exactly like it's on, on the, uh, you know, the CD or whatever. Well, and that's <laughs> such a beautiful statement, Dory. It has such gravity because that's the thing. I think instinctually musicians that are attuned to and connected to them, their instrument, they're, they've released themselves from worrying too much about it, and the listening process is what accentuates that, that what needs to be their moment. That's why, like you mentioned, covers are like, well, I'm not just going to play it the same way. So I like that when the interpretation changes because the emotional quality of what's there charges the artist with a different feeling. It's like even when I'm recording with other musicians and they're playing something on a track, I don't want to tell them what to play, and I'm 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 in charging those people with, hey, look, you're good enough at what you do. You'll hear what needs to happen. And nine times out of ten, it's exactly what needs to be there. Um, and and there not judging it, you know, out of out of ego, saying, well, it's not what I would have written, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> exactly. That, that's not the part, that's not the part on the record. You know, like, you know, that, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that's what I threw in, so there you go. <laughs> where's my cigars? It's not going to work. <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyway, so and you were bitten by the music bug early on, correct? At about age five, can you tell us about how that all started? Man, my house was humming with music always, and what three TV stations, Buffalo Twenty Nine out of New York, and a couple Canadian stations. So radio in the kitchen, phonograph upstairs, phonograph in the basement. Uh, people fighting over record space. Grandmother singing everything from Beatles tunes to Presley, Sinatra. Loved to sing all the time, including Eastern European music. Uh, my mom and dad were of the big band and jazz era, so there was always lots of that playing in the house. And Buddy Rich, Dizzy Gillespie, yeah. uh, Count Basie, you know, classic Cole Porter, Jerome Kern, you know, all the songbook stuff. Uh, and it was, you know, and that's the thing. Aside from what it all was and what was being played, it was the passion that I saw in those people for wanting to know the lyric. I can whistle the entire medley. Uh, I can blow a whistle. My grandfather was an amazing whistler. I don't know about your granddad, but it's like, I swear he was like a, an improv whistler, you know, and, and <laughs> all of that for me as a kid, even the people that came to the house for those, you know, poker games in the basement and, and bridge and, and cribbage upstairs in the kitchen, the storytelling and the voices and the enthusiasm were all a part of that electricity that as a young kid I went, oh, hey, everybody really loves this. It seems to be a part of everybody's life. And when I sang my little tunes on the bench and the broken lamp in the kitchen, everybody laughed and everybody loved it. And my parents would call me and say, come on, sing that song, sing John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt for, you know, Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> that that made me feel, and with that detachment, I felt academically as a dyslexic accepted because I knew, wait a minute, I can speak, I can sing songs. It doesn't mean that I'm I'm stupid. You know, just because I struggled with reading and writing, it had, had nothing to do with that. So music was also like that vehicle for me to go, hey, look, I can do this. <laughs> Yeah. And, and and feel accepted by my peer group and, and even adults, which was huge for me as a kid. Yeah, and you know, I've worked with a lot of kids with learning challenges. My first business was actually Next Stage Educational Services, and that was my mission, was to convince some of these kids that they were not stupid. They just had other gifts, and Many of them, as it turned out, had musical gifts. So it was like, well, there you go. <laughs> well, and in 1976, yeah. dyslexia was like, well, Edward has a problem. You know, my mom's like, what do you mean he's got a problem? Like, well, he's, you know, mixing up his B's and D's and, you know, saw his was mm. and he's having trouble reading. And, you know, I'd be the kid sweating having to read the paragraph. You know, you, you go around and, yeah. and you know, the biology book and everybody would you know, wishing that the bell would, you know, ring. Come on, get closer to noon so we can have recess and maybe we'll go on, you know, social studies or something. <laughs> but it was like, for me, that, that you know, I didn't, wasn't made to feel stupid, but a lot of teachers, like, weren't, like, how might I say, uh, as a, accepting of what the problem was. So I was put in special class. Uh, remedial reading, I had to go to summer school a couple of times. Um, all of that, I think, for me, made me work harder at what music was because I wanted to prove 
to my teachers and everybody else that I, I can do this. Like in, and and like you know, sneaking in at recess when I was supposed to be out playing baseball or hockey through the the school window to play the piano and then get in trouble and have a detention for it. I was like, I'm getting a detention for playing a piano at recess. I felt like a rebel, you know. I was like, I'm a 12 year old rebel, right? Like. So I don't know. It kind of that went hand in hand too with with pushing me, saying no, you can't. Well, <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> I had to laugh because yes, I was sent to the wrestling office many times and spent all of junior high in detention, you know, mostly for talking or just you know moving too much or whatever. See, you know, I I had the music in me and I had to move. Don't make me sit in a chair all day. You know, nowadays they probably recommend me for Ritalin or Adderall or something else. But well, that's hey, what it was. You know? They wanted to put me on Ritalin as a kid, and my mom was like, no, you're not going to do that. And God bless my mom because she spent hours of time with me, practicing reading, working with these flashcards to pronounce words correctly, uh, it has trained my eye to see left to right as opposed to right to left, my brain, however it was. And my mom was like, no. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. If the kid has a headache, we give him some ASA if it doesn't go away. But I'm not going to put him on some new pharmaceutical just to calm him down. And that's not what it mm-hmm. is. The kid wants to learn, but he, it's he's frustrated, right? So my mom yeah. was smart enough also, too, to go, well, look, you know, put that down for now and pick up your guitar. Go play the piano because you feel better when you do that. And that's what it was, too, is a comfort mechanism for me. Yeah, yeah, music really, really uh, can soothe the soul, but also, you know, it just makes such a huge impact. And see, you went from those early struggles to look at all the things you've done since. You have more awards than I could possibly read. <laughs> you've won many, many, uh, lots of accolades here, and, you know, you're still doing your thing. So to those teachers out there, all I have to say is, ha. <laughs> and and you also have a huge following. I love the whole uh, fact that you've got lots of people who are following you and, and your edheads, as you call them, but also that you're using your music to give back. So can you tell us a bit about how you're doing that? You said you went to Jamaica and, and uh, raised awareness and did some other things there, right? Well, yeah. I mean, Jamaica is one of those like storybook places for me, you know, um, the pirates, Treasure Island factor, you know, and the swashbuckling, you know, thing of the movie era that I remember seeing as a kid. But then when I was about 13, 14, going into high school, nobody wanted to play the bass. It was one Mm. of those, there's three guitarists in our band. So I I, I got a bass from a friend of mine. He lent it to me for the longest time and then rented one through the school, through the band program. But... One of the rehearsal spots that we had, uh, the our drummer, his sister has a really you know close boyfriend of hers that was fr- really close with Bob Marley, and he was actually on the road with Bob for a while, was his personal assistant, um, knew Bob, Jimmy Cliff, a lot of these guys that were part of that island phenomenon, reggae culture, superstar status. Um, and gave us these records that were like, you got to listen to this. If you're a bass player, you got to check out Family Man Barrett's bass playing. And that whole thing sparked that that interest in wanting to go there. And being there, I said to Kim, my wife, I said, come on, let's go. We haven't been anywhere in 10 years. 
we went to a resort, but in short time made friends with musicians that play there, uh, the gardening staff, because I'm very passionate about farming and agriculture. Um, just people in general that said, well, come on, let's go out and see the rest of the island without that whole mechanism of being leashed to the the resort. And we do, we've been going back ever since, but never going to this any resort. We've just been out in the jungle, Orcabessa, Papa Curvin's place, little cabin, a lot of musicians hang out there. But the thing that most people realize don't realize is that, look, Jamaicans are working all the time, from early in the morning till like sun sundown. They maybe make 130, 140 bucks every two weeks, and the cost of oh, living wow. is almost standard as to what it is in North America in terms of paying for materials to build a house or whatever it might be. So we decided that through a shipping company here in Canada, we we get barrels, shipping barrels, which is much cheaper to do. It takes longer, but fill those barrels with things that people need that we saw from toilet seats that people don't have or the kids need shoes um, and or books uh, for writing in, pencils, paper, all the things that sometimes we take for granted. We started telling people, well, yeah, we're doing this, and all of a sudden, well, somebody shows up, and this has been in our garage, blankets, uh, some kids' clothes, da 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 Everybody started contributing, so we started sending stuff down, and the barrels get opened up, divvied out to people, whatever anybody needs they take, even canned food. So you can ship anything you want, provided it's not explosive or flammable. So, you know, there's been a lot of used electronics sitting around that nobody uses. They work still, but they don't have that there. You know, they want a DVD player. No problem. It's been sitting in a box in the basement. Nobody uses it because nobody watches them anymore. It's direct TV now or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. All of that kind of stuff, uh, we wanted to give back in some way because the culture itself gives so much to us. I've realized that, like we were talking about music and culture and how they connect, conversation and that culture itself is still so communicative amongst each other. There's 10 people sitting around for hours talking about politics on a porch or playing music, and it's happening continually. Mm-hmm. And it makes that culture tight, strong and healthy in that regard. They understand it. There's, there's, there's harder sides of it, and there's lighter sides of it. But it all fluctuates and moves accordingly as a result of how they, they interact with one another. I wanted to write a tune because when I was there, I met Bunny Whaler, who was the last surviving member of the singing part of the Bob Marley and the Whalers. I had a, a quote-unquote audience with Jebby, the man himself, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, meeting other people that are friends or were friends with Jimmy Cliff, a family of Bobs, going to Nine Mile. Uh, all of that made me want to write a tune, Jamaica, which went on letters from high latitudes, to show people like what I see when I'm there what you don't see when you're sort of behind the walls of, from that experience. And the fear mechanism, yeah. removing that from that, people are saying, you, you, can't, you can't leave without assistance. And so, well, no, you have to break that barrier to understand what that is. And that all leaves. You treat people with respect, you'll get the same respect in return. And, and there's places you shouldn't go late at night because you just shouldn't. There's places in Toronto yeah. you shouldn't go late at night. There's places in New York you shouldn't go late at night. Yeah. So, Places I mean, in Raleigh and Durham, same thing. Yeah, it's the, you know, <laughs> so for me, it reinvigorated my idea of connecting 
and at the same time removing fear from 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 that aspect of in my life and using music as a vehicle to do it awesome well you know Ed, when i checked out your new tune i am love and i watched the video first of all i had to say wait a second He's playing all the instruments. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. But that's exactly what I heard. I said, oh, we got a little bit of a reggae vibe going on there. And, of course, the percussionist in me was adding all kinds of little percussion doodads and things in my head. But it was a very, very catchy tune, number one. But I loved the lyrics. I mean, be a messenger. I mean, it's it's very, very powerful. And I think it's very uplifting and it's very important. And I'm going to cue that up now and then I'm going to ask you some questions about it. So, folks, sit back, grab a tasty beverage, and listen to Ed Roman's tune, I Am Love. That one, I can see that getting picked up. If you don't get a placement deal on that one, I'll be very surprised. Anyone who's out there listening, you know, I'm thinking there's a lot of causes out there that could use that tune, and who knows, maybe TV or commercials. So shout out to Michael Stover with MTS Management Group, <laughs> who you're working with, and he's been so kind in sending me lots of great podcast guests. So I'm sure he's thought of that. But yeah. I mean, it has a lot of potential, number one. It's a great message, and, you know, it encourages people to really think about how we're all connected, number one, how we can be messengers, and, you know, how we can reach out. So would well, you like to radical, speak any more radical, on that? Uh, it's a radical idea to, to, to wield love um, in, in the mm-hmm. face of treachery, anger, um, all of the things that make us as humans react the same way um, in that in that forceful fashion. And, and trust me, you know, I'm as human as everybody else, just like any other human being. Um, we all have to face it at some point. But how how is it that we we choose to react that makes the difference? Yeah. And, and 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 more so even in the drastic scenarios of of the the things that we see happening today. Um, and 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 the other thing is that you know there's a lyric in there that says falling from the matrix is what can set you free. You know, you and I I think have spent enough time at a different point in the 20th century when we didn't have all of this technology, let's say. And and as mm-hmm. a person, as an entertainer, an artist, just like yourself, spend an incredible amount of time 
doing what I do at a necessity online, talking to people, you know, talking about shows, uh, where I'm playing, who I'm talking to. All of that is so important, but at the same time, I'm still in the pantheon. I, I'm, I'm, I still consider myself an animal in some ways. And, and how I live in my environment and react in my environment, my living organic environment is so important to me. It helps me understand not only that separation that needs to be there, but again, recalibrates me as far as emotionally how I feel. Because if I can spend five minutes under, you know, in talking to a bird, you know, that flew into my window and have this moment nurturing back to health, or planting vegetables in my garden and reaping its rewards as I nurture it through the year, that to me re sort of accentuates my existence. That song, you know, and what love is, what does it mean to be love? Is, you know, we give each other Christmas presents every year and Valentine's cards, and but those random acts of love that come out of nowhere, that are unanticipated, that all of a sudden seem like magic, they're the simple small things that keep us going, that empathy button that's still there going, I want to do this just because. You know, and 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 it, and and and, it, and and it's I say it's it's radical to to do that, but that's what the message is. The message should always somehow be that, no matter how hard things are. Exactly, and there's a lot of people out there now. You see lots of rants on Facebook and everywhere else, where you know people are complaining about one thing or the other, and you, they don't like this or that, and they're saying, you know. It shouldn't be that way, and I want to know. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, what that's are you it. Going How do you do react to make a difference? Exactly. Yeah, the tune so, says, "Well, what okay. you do? What you doing now?" It's at one point in the tune I yell out, and and that's the thing. I think that that negativity. You know what a, a PK or, or a PK manifestation is? Psychokinetic manifestation. They're basically yeah. spiritual kinetic manifestations that people themselves create through negative energy that end up becoming a living spiritual organism. And they can be seen by spiritual mediums in houses, and they know who's created them out of depression, anger. And I think that the same thing occurs with us as people. The, the, the higher aspect of the, the sort of cosmos you know, uh, uh, feeling mechanism, energy mechanism, whether we believe it or not, is greatly dictated by our vibrational quality. That's why music, you and I both understand this, that that transcendental aspect to what music can offer somehow gives us a glimpse of what that is. And our daily actions, whether we know it or not, as people that are, you know, in some cases being fed those anxieties by things, are are not helping by what you just said, festering in social media with bad ideas aren't helping any. Um, exactly, and, and no matter what your you know what your religious or spiritual beliefs are, you know you, you still can make a difference. I mean, you're helping out with heart songs for veterans. That's a very cool cause as well. There's so many different ways that people can use their gifts and talents to make an impact and make a difference, no matter. No matter what you believe, you know, we, and music brings us all together. You know, <laughs> I always joke that I can go out to any country, anywhere, with just like an, a djembe, an African drum, plop myself down on the chair, and you know, 
put another chair and another drum there, not say a word, and we can play together and jam, and nobody will care, you know, where we, what my background is or anything else. It's just music unites us all. So that's my Well, and that's it. I, you know, uh, Michael Franti, even from, like, Spearhead, he, he put out a film a while ago called I Know I'm Not Alone. And he did that. He took his band and the idea that, hey, I'm going to go to Syria and Lebanon and Iraq and Iran and hook up with musicians, Palestinians, Jews, all sorts of different people to see what was really kind of going on. And that exact thing happened in a very short period of time. Yeah. There was this new reconnect as a result of that. And and I think that's the dangerous thing about media. As, as important it is to pay attention to it's also important to not pay attention to that other aspect of the fear mechanism. Like, I mean, even mm-hmm. our own weather network here, God love them, I watch them, but it's like, even if it's a beautiful day, which it is today here in Canada, if I go on turn it on, they're going to be going to, like, hurricane report from 75. <laughs> Thunderstorm Something right, like, look at the devastation. <laughs> so the fight or flight button mechanism, let's push it yeah. again, even though we don't have to. And that's what I guess I mean. Right. Neil Young had read a lyric, wrote a lyric a little while ago. Like I re- always read the paper, but I don't always pay attention to the news. You know. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Ed, you know, we, we need to wrap things up here, but it's been a pleasure. Let me tell everyone where they can find you, folks. If you go online to edroman.net, that's his website. You can also find him on Facebook, Ed Roman Music, or on Twitter. Special Ed Roman, and I think you're on Instagram under that too, and YouTube, Special Ed Roman as well. As for me, I'm at rockthenextstage.com, and you can just shoot me an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, Dory, D-O-R-I, at rockthenextstage.com. And, you know, I've just put together, speaking of paying it forward, a video training program for musicians to teach them about the music biz, but I didn't think that was enough. I wanted to have a pay-it-forward component to help fund an entrepreneurship camp for disadvantaged youth in my area. So if anyone's interested to hear more about that, you go to my website, you can click the tab that says Musician's Success Formula. So my friend, thank you so much for joining us today, all the way from Canada. And yeah, well, you know what, Rock... Rock the next stage. I, I, I so thank you so much for having me on, and I just want to say, like, um, you're vanguard because the reality of it is, shows like this and talking about the art form is just as important because hopefully we're turning some people on to some ideas more than just what the song is, but why we love right. what we love. So exactly. That's you. why I wanted to to do that. Have a show that played didn't just play music, but <laughs> interviewed people and and got their perspective on things. So awesome. So folks, tune in again next Wednesday. We'll we'll have another exciting episode <laughs> of Rock the Next Stage. So he's at 1 p.m. Eastern. Hope to see you back here real soon. I'm going to close this out with your tune, Ed. Until next time, keep on rocking. This is I am you too. Bang a drum. Bang a drum. Bang a drum. That's right. That's right. Definitely. See you, my friend. Alrighty. 